It is such a pleasure to be here this morning. Such a pleasure to be preaching and speaking to you this morning. I don't think I've even actually talked on a Sunday morning in this building. It's been a... I think it is. It's been... I've done a night time, but it's been a long time since I've spoken in the morning. Normally, I'm uh, speaking to prep to grade six kids. So I'm going to try and pitch it up a little for you today, because even when you're speaking to prep to your six kids, you're trying to probably pitch it at grade two. So I reckon you can handle a little more than grade two. Okay, not too far. Well, I was actually speaking uh, last week with like a marketing guy, and he said, if you want to pitch a document or some text on like social media or something to hit everybody, he said grade three. (laughs) He was, honestly, he said grade three is it. If you go high, you lose a whole heap of people, which is a little concerning. But anyway, that's okay. Well, it is, uh, it is such a pleasure to be able to speak with you this morning. Um, I, I hope my voice holds out. You might, I, I've got a little bit of a head cold, so uh, I can't hear real well. So hopefully you can encourage me nicely. Welcome to everyone watching online. It is wonderful to have you here. And I'm so pleased to see so many people here this morning as well, so that we can all be blessed um, by what I'm going to share this morning. I want to actually talk uh, and, and encourage and challenge you out of the book of Revelation. Ooh, say, so Dan, you haven't preached for a long time and you, you go to Revelation? Whoa! Well, first of all, one of the reasons I want to talk about Revelation is I, I want to demystify it, right? I don't know if you've ever heard much of Shane Willard's preaching, but if you haven't heard his series on Revelation, I would 100% encourage you to go and get it. He spoke about it here, so it's on, um, it's on Spotify and things. I think there's recordings from his, his messages here. It is amazing, because the problem is we read Revelation, or most of the time we don't read Revelation, right? Who, who, who stays clear of it? Because it seems to be this weird, mystical thing that we can't understand, that we can't make sense of. And I want to share with you this morning that that's actually not the intention of Revelation. We have this idea that it's this, this strange prophetic word into the future. I want to say that actually it's not. It's actually more of a historical book. You see, the book of Revelation was written by John. That's right, right, John? Yeah, written by John. Um, and, and one day God spoke to him and he was, he was writing the book of Revelation in a literal time in history. And at this time in history, there was this emperor called Emperor Domitian. He was a terrible emperor. He did terrible things. In fact, he was so terrible that at the end of his reign, even the Roman historians deleted him from their history. That's bad, right? So it's this time in in the the history of the church where John is writing these these writings to a a variety of different things. And and the passage that I want to look at today is from Revelation chapter 3. And Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, John is writing a letter to seven different churches. There's seven different churches and he's writing it. It's very similar, but a really short version compared to, say, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Galatians. These are all letters written to churches to give some instruction to them. And these are basically just little short letters where he's writing them to these churches, wanting to instruct them and wanting to say, here's what God is saying to your church. So you're ready to go on that journey with me. Some of you sound shocked that I could even 
mention that this is a possibility. Are you okay? If you've switched off at the thought that it's not this prophetic, weird prophetic thing that we could never understand about the future, sorry, um, but you can just hang in for another like 20, 30 minutes or so, and then you can go and have your coffee. Um, so he's writing to these different churches. He writes one to Ephesus, one to Smyrna, if I pronounce things incorrectly, I'm sorry, one to Pergamum, one to Thyatira, one to Sardis, one to Philadelphia, and one to Laodicea. And they're just simply instructions for the church and where the church is at, at that point of time. I want to speak from Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 20. So this is the letter to the church of Laodicea. So I want to read through it. It should come up on the screen. Just going to read the whole passage. And then what we're going to do is just look at each little section and say, well, what does it mean? Because the title of my message today is, what's really going on? What's really going on? Have you ever, or do you ever stop in your life for a moment and, and look and go, what, what's really going on? It's a very, very important question to ask. I deal with students at school, I have to do a lot of the behaviour management, and often I need to just stop and say, what, what's really going on here? What's really going on? And as we look at the Bible and as we look at Scripture, we need to ask ourselves, what's really going on? When we read about Jesus, we should stop and think, what's Jesus, what's he really trying to do here? And for my life, I should ask myself, what, what's really going on? You're ready to, to sort of turn the mirror on yourself today and look at yourself and say, what's, what's really going on? What's really going on in my heart? What's really going on in my thinking? Are you ready? You good? You sure? Okay. Great. All right, here we go. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do that you are neither hot or cold. I wish that you are one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I spit you out of my mouth. I say, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He's pretty scathing, right? This is so encouraging. How do you, this, you feel really good? Yeah? Okay, let's continue. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So this morning, let's put this lens of what's really going on over this passage. And I want to teach you and show you some things. I, I, I think, sadly, I think that the church of Laodicea is probably a pretty good reflection of the church at the moment, particularly in Australia. I, I look at this, I can identify with these challenges and the things that Jesus is challenging these people about. Okay, so let, let, let's ask what's really going on. The first thing is this, um, what's going on with the angel? Like, like it, it says here, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Do we have an angel? Like, like why has this church got an angel? What's going on there? Have you ever wondered that? It seems very mysterious, doesn't it? Ooh, they got an angel. Cool. You never, maybe I think differently to you. Anyway, so um, 
when we look at this, the reason why Revelation is written in such strange figurative language is because at the time, because of Emperor Domitian, it was very, very dangerous to overtly say what you wanted to say about the things of God. So that John's kind of found this loophole where he can say it, but because he's sort of given it this illustrative sort of feel, if it comes back to pin on him, it's like, that's not what I was talking about. Do you understand? So he's sort of trying to find this little loophole to get him out of further trouble, but still be able to communicate the message. And he says here, this is a letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. If you look into the word angel here, angel can simply be interpreted as pastor. This is a letter to the pastor of the church in this city of Laodicea. Okay, so the first, let's get rid of that mystical, there's not an angel there, okay, there's just a pastor, like this is a letter to Pastor Chris, right, that, this, that someone's written, okay, so here, here's a letter, not just anyone, don't just all start writing letters to Pastor Chris, sorry, this is from John, like, like the Apostle John, okay, all right, so <clears throat> demystify that, this is a letter to the pastor, And then it says, this is a message from the one who is the Amen. What? Why the Amen? Why not just, this is a letter from Jesus? You see, the problem with just saying this is a letter from Jesus, we we send our kids to kids' church and they come back, we say, what did you learn about today? And what do they say? Jesus. And you're like, oh, come on. Like, be more specific, because Jesus is so broad. Jesus has, the, you know, if we said, oh, what did we learn at church today? Jesus. Well, what, 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 what aspect of Jesus? What's Jesus doing? What was Jesus saying? All these sorts of things. So if we have a look through these letters, it's interesting. They don't say that this is a letter from Jesus, number one, because John's kind of trying to protect himself. Remember, he doesn't want Domitian and his Roman guards to come knocking on the door saying, you're preaching Jesus, you're not allowed to, because Domitian said that he was the son of God. Okay, so if, if, if John's going around preaching that Jesus is too specifically, he's going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Okay. Are you with me? Great. All right. Now, each church has their own thing. In fact, if we have a look at the start, the opening phrase, each letter has one of these little addresses. So if we look at Ephesus, it says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks amongst the seven golden lamps. Sounds pretty cool. Smyrna, Jesus is referred to as this, the one who is the first and the last who dies and is alive. From Pergamum, the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. Ooh. From Thyatira, the son of God whose eyes are bright like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. From Sardis, Jesus is referred to as the one who has the sevenfold spirits of God and the seven stars. In Philadelphia, it says the one who is holy and true. He is the one who has the key of David. And then in Laodicea, it says the one who is the amen, the faithful true witness. So we've got to ask ourselves, why does it say the amen? Why is Jesus referred to here as the amen? What's going on? What's really going on in this church that Jesus wants to remind them that he is the Amen. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be the Amen? The Amen means this, firm and trustworthy. Jesus is saying, hey, pastor of Laodicea, I want you to remind the church that I am firm and I am trustworthy. 
And if we turn the mirror back on us today, we need to ask ourselves that same question. Do we need reminding that Jesus is firm and trustworthy? What's really going on in our hearts? Do we really trust Jesus? Do we really believe that his word is firm and true? You see, I reckon when they read this, they remembered that that story that Jesus told about the man who built his house upon the sand and the man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came, the one on the sand came tumbling down, but the one on the rock was firm and true. Do we actually build our life on the one that is firm and trustworthy? And this is where Jesus starts. This is where it starts in the letter because everything else in the letter flows on from this. If we depart from the fact that Jesus is the firm and the trustworthy one and we start to put our trust in other things, things start to go downhill. So as we sit here this morning, let's ask ourselves in our own hearts, what's really going on? What's really going on? At home, listening online, what's really going on in us? Do we remember that Jesus is firm and trustworthy? Or do we just love singing these songs? I mean, that was wonderful. But if we forget that Jesus is firm and trustworthy, it's just another beautiful song. Let's continue. The next part, I love this next part. It goes on to say, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard that this passage, who's heard this passage before, heard some teaching around this passage, come on, come on, like in my class, put your hand up properly, that's right, some, like, like some, oh, sorry, I was just, it was just stretching. Uh, well, answer me the question anyway, mate. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah. Um, the, the, the problem is this, that the, the, the teaching and the interpretation of this that I've always been presented with, I've really, really struggled with. What I've heard is this, is that Jesus is saying to them, hey, you're like lukewarm Christians, you need to either be on fire, you need to be hot, you need to be passionate about Jesus, you need to be in church waving your hands around, clapping, jumping around, you need to be singing real loud, or get out of the church. Or you should just be totally cold and totally indifferent to me. Who's heard that? Get on fire or get out, basically is the teaching I've heard. And for me, I got a real problem with that. Because that's not at all how I've experienced Jesus to be. If we read it that way, the understanding that we get and the understanding that we then unknowingly give to those that don't know Jesus is that he would prefer someone be far away from him than somewhat close to him. And that just doesn't mesh with my understanding of God. I think of my own kids. Now, my own kids, they're, they're about to turn eight. And they love us, don't they, Anna? They love us. They're so lovely. In fact, my son, he, he'll read, we put them to bed. He'll read for a bit. And then I'll say lights out. And then they say, we're just going to finish this page every night. You know those routines? Yeah, just finish this page, Dad. Yep, sure. And then once he's finished the page, he'll always come out for one more cuddle. And the other night, he came out, gave me that cuddle. 
then he just said to me, Dad, just want to have one more look at your lovely face. And he looked up at me and went, "Mm." Oh, my heart. Now, he's eight, okay? When he's 15, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to think that he'll still do that. I'm not sure that he will. But let's say that by 15, my children are somewhat indifferent to me. That's the sort of stories I've heard. Correct me if I'm wrong. But by 15, that could be the case. Is that true? Okay, so if I go along with this thinking here that it's either get totally passionately in love with me or be just totally away from me, then by the time that my kids are 15, I'd be happier for them to be out of my house and not knowing me at all than wandering around grunting at me. That doesn't sit right with me. So what is it actually saying? What's really going on? I don't see the heart of God in that at all. The call to us this morning, if you identify with that lukewarm sort of place in your journey with Jesus, is not to get totally on fire or just leave the church and just walk away. That's not it. I want to encourage you. Feel free to stay here. It's okay. Because the other problem is this, well, how long are you allowed to be lukewarm for before you go either direction? And if I am super cold to Jesus and I've made a decision, am I allowed to journey through that place to get totally on fire? Or do I have to jump from one straight to the other? And if I start to cool, do I have to leave? It just doesn't work. So what's really going on? Well, I've got good news for you. There's an actual really, really good reason why Jesus is saying this. You see... And I better get these names right. You see, at Laodicea, there was a town on either side of them. On one side was this town of Heropolis. I like the name of that town. It's cool, Heropolis. There's this town of Heropolis. And do you know what Heropolis had? It had these beautiful hot springs. It had these lovely hot springs that you could go to and you could bathe in them and they had this therapeutic quality, this healing quality to them to ease your aches and pains and help you to feel better. And then there was a city on the other side, Colossae, and guess what they had? They had these beautiful cool springs where you could go on a hot day and get this beautiful chilled refreshing water. So when we start to read it with the lens of these people in Laodicea reading it, they wouldn't have seen get in or get out. They would have thought of these hot springs of Heropolis. They would have thought of these cool springs of Colossae. And they would have had this, cool, this calling from Jesus to stop being lukewarm and start to be healing and start to be refreshing to the people around them. You see, the problem is this in Laodicea, they had no natural springs at all. And they built these aqueducts from other town springs. And by the time the water got to them, it was just warm and tepid. They literally drank this lukewarm water every day. And it was full of silt. And it was this sort of lukewarm. You know, at home when you turn the tap on and and it sort of comes out lukewarm because your pipes have heated up? It's kind of like that. My son got a cup the other day. He's like, "This this is warm. I said, mate, run the tap a bit longer and it'll go cold. But this is a literal 
actual thing going on in their lives that Jesus is talking about. It wasn't in or out. Jesus is saying to them, hey, you should be refreshingly cool. You should bring refreshment to people. You should bring healing to people like the springs of Heropolis. But instead, you're nothing. You've got this sense of your faith that's actually quite unappealing that people drink it and just go, yeah, not, not really very nice. So when we turn the mirror on ourselves, we should ask ourselves, what's really going on? What's really going on? Do I and does my faith actually bring healing to people? Does my faith actually bring this sense of refreshment to people or not? It challenges me. And I talk about the mirror. Jesus says in James 1.23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and turns away and forgets what he looks like. Church, this morning, I challenge you to consider, are you healing? Does your faith bring refreshing? Or do we simply live in this lukewarm where we sort of tapped it in from somewhere else, but by the time it gets to us, well, nah, I'll drink it, but it's not super pleasant. I hope you're actually challenged and encouraged by it. It's a call upwards. Jesus is not saying, get out. If you're questioning your faith in reading that sort of scripture, please stay. Please don't misinterpret the heart of God. The heart of God is simply that you would have this call upwards, not ever backwards. This call to be more and more like Jesus each day. So why do we end up in a situation like this? Well, let's continue. He goes on to say, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that's been purified by fire, then you'll be rich. Also buy white garments from me that say you will not be ashamed of your nakedness and ointment for your eyes. So you will be able to see what's really going on here. Let me paint you a picture of the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a city that lay right in the center of a trading route. That in order for people to get from one place to another, they would go through Laodicea. So people would come and trade in Laodicea. The church of Laodicea was a very wealthy church. They had lots of money. They were very wealthy. So when Jesus is talking about find your gold in me, he's directly referring to their reliance on their own wealth and riches. They also had these sheep that they would farm down in the valley and these sheep were black sheep and they would shear them and they would make these beautiful, soft black garments. And they would wear these black garments as, as, as a sign of identity that we are wealthy, that look how wealthy we are. We can wear these expensive black clothes. So when Jesus says, buy from me white garments, it's a direct challenge to them in their identity and where they're finding themselves. Do you actually find yourself in Jesus' church of Laodicea? Because it seems to me that you pride yourself on your wealth and flaunting it by what you wear. Find in me white garments. 
The Church of Laodicea also had this breaking edge, like medical center of the time. We'd probably look at it now and go, what were you thinking? But anyway, they had this medical center where they, they were able to source this ingredient for an eye ointment that they would rub on people's eyes to try and help with their vision. And what does Jesus say? He says, I want you to get your eye ointment from me. Again, these three things are are a direct challenge to the situation that these people are at in life. They were wealthy. They found their identity in the things of the world. They found their vision in the things of the world. And Jesus is saying, do you find riches in me? Jesus is saying, do you really find your identity in me? Do you really find your vision in me, church? And I'm challenged by that. As I said at the start, I think the church of Laodicea is a great picture of the church in Australia. We're pretty well off, right? We can easily pride ourselves on the things that we acquire. We can easily lose our vision for Jesus because we just sort of are comfortable in life. You listen to their words. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Who can identify with that? I absolutely can. And it challenges me. Do I actually find these central things in Jesus? I'll have to speed up. It goes on, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. How do you feel about that? Are you keen for that? Are you keen for discipline? Now, really quickly, let's have a look at this word love here. I correct and discipline everyone I love. In Australia, I don't know if you've listened to much of um, um, Pastor Chris and Levi's podcast, but in one of them, they were talking about the word love. And Levi, Levi was sharing that in, in um, Taipei, they actually had lots of different words for love. We don't, sadly. We just, we, we love everything, right? I love hot chips. I love my wife. I love holidays. I love rain. And then I also love a nice sunny day. It's really weird. So we need to understand here, what does Jesus actually mean? Often in the New Testament, the word that love is used is this big, broad word where it's referring to this sense of social justice, that this mental ascension to, yes, I probably should help people. It's big and broad and encompasses lots of people. That's not the word that Jesus is using here. Jesus is using this different word for love here. And it means this, to have affection for, a personal attachment to, rather than this wider scent of mental assent to loving people. It's coming from the heart and Jesus is saying, I love you. I have a personal connection for you. I have an attachment to you. And I want to call you up. I want to challenge you. I want to call you out. In in another translation, it used the words rebuke, chasten, zealous, and repent. And they're actually great words that we kind of steer away from. The word rebuke means to convict Now, that's not very popular, is it? To openly 
challenge someone these days is very frowned upon. And we, in turn, then close up to God. God says, no, I love you. I want to challenge you. I want to convict you. Chasten means to train up. By implication of discipline, to instruct that we would learn and that we would be taught. Church, are we keen, are we excited to actually be challenged and convicted and chastened by the things of God? I want to be trained up more and more in the things of God. To be zealous means to have warmth of feeling for or against. And we come back to this refreshingly hot, refreshingly cool thought. Do you have a warmth of feeling for the things of God, against the things of the world? And then repent to think differently afterwards. Do we allow God to cause us to think differently after he comes and moves in our lives. I love the Amplified. It says, To those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I rebuke and discipline, showing them their faults and instructing them. So be enthusiastic and repent. Change your inner self, your old way of thinking, your sinful behavior. Seek God's will. Church, what's really going on? Stop for a moment and consider for yourself, sitting in this building, sitting at home, wherever you are watching online, consider for yourself, what's really going on? Well, let's land this thing. We've got one small bit. I'll be quick. It finishes with this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share, share a meal together as friends. There's two words I want to quickly look at here. The first is this one here. Those who hear my voice. Hear means to give audience of. It's not a physical thing of do you actually hear the voice of God? It's not this mystical thing. I don't know about you. I've never actually heard the voice of God. I've never actually heard Jesus knocking on the door. It's this fact of do you give audience to? When we drive along in our car, my kids talk a lot. Our kids are in the back seat. They love asking questions. They love telling stories. My son just sees everything outside and wants to know about it all. And we've tried to teach them, hey, daddy's busy driving. He's got to focus on driving. So they try and shoot the questions to Anna's way. And I don't know what's going on in the seat she sits in, but there seems to be some sort of auditory void around her where the sound that's coming out of their mouth and entering my ears doesn't seem to get into her ears. I don't know what's going on, but she sits there and just looks out the window and just enjoys the journey. And here I am as a teacher hearing all these questions. I start twitching. And I'm like, can you not hear them? What's going on? The sound waves are going in my ears. See, the difference is not that she doesn't literally hear them. I'm not sure she gives audience to them. And she, look, she loves our kids. And I honestly, I wish I could do that. I honestly wish I could. The problem is, I think I'm probably much more likely to be like that with God. 
that God is trying to speak to me and I simply don't give him an audience. That he's trying to minister to me and challenge me and move in me, but I'm not giving this assent to it. I'm not actually recognizing the fact that Jesus is trying to speak to me. And here's the problem. When Jesus says, he who opens the door, the word open here is this word anoigo. I'll probably pronounce it wrong, but anoigo. And it's made up of this word ana and oigo. And it's got this ana on it as a prefix. Oigo means open. And ana, when used as a prefix, means repeatedly. Jesus is literally saying to the church of Laodicea, those who repeatedly open their door to me, I will come in and share a meal with friends. You see, we have this image of a scripture like this and we say, yeah, I opened my door to Jesus when I was 15. Hang on a minute. Is that the last time that you open your door to Jesus? Jesus is saying, I knock and I call out and the one who repeatedly every day, all throughout the day will open their door to me. I will come in and we will share a meal and this transformation will take place. The church of Laodicea needed Jesus moving in their lives again. And this morning, church, we need Jesus moving in our lives every day that we would be this healing and refreshing presence to the world around us. So I want to end with these questions. In whom or what do you place your trust? Really, what's really going on? Pause for a moment and consider. In who or what do you really place your trust? This challenges me. I've got to pause and stop and consider. Is your faith currently making you more refreshing and healing to those around you? If so, in what way? And I say that because unless we can actually then specify, perhaps we're not as healing and refreshing as we thought we are. Unless I can actually identify what they are, maybe I'm actually not. And if not, what areas should you be? What things in your life cause you to say or think, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need anything, rather than finding your riches, identity, vision, and healing in Jesus? What areas of discipline, including self-discipline, is Jesus calling you out on and asking you to be trained up in? And finally, all of these really rest on this last one. How often do you intentionally stop to open the door to Jesus? And in what ways do you recognize Jesus speaking to you or moving in your life? Because you also need to identify that. That's different for everyone. Jesus probably speaks to me differently to how he speaks to you. But if we're not aware of the way that we sense God moving in our life, it's very hard to hear from him. So consider that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you 
that you speak to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that you're so keenly interested in our lives, that you would challenge us, that you would call us upwards. I thank you, God, that you want to minister to us this morning and show us these things so that we can live a bigger and grander life in your love and for your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to really ask that question for ourselves. What's really going on? And that we would eagerly reach out to you and continually open the door of our lives to you. And maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't say that you've ever really opened up your life to Jesus. But you've heard these words this morning and and hearing that God actually has a heart for people, God actually has a personal attachment to everyone. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, actually, you know what? I'd like to start on that journey. If it means I don't have to go from cold to God to really hot to God in one jump, but I can journey towards Jesus. If that's you this morning, and you say, I'd love to start a journey towards Jesus. I'd love to open my heart more to Him. Can I ask you to do something for me? Can you just raise your hand up? If you're here this morning and you'd say, I'd love to open up my life to Jesus and start a journey towards Him. Could you just raise your hand up for me? I'd love every Yeah, great. Awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? Just acknowledging, yeah, that's me. I want to get to know this Jesus that you're talking about. Anyone else? Great. Well, I'm going to hand back to Pastor Chris. Thank you so much. I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've been challenged and encouraged. Pastor Chris is, is going to tell us what we can do next in our Next Steps journey. Thanks, Pastor Chris. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Dan. Come on, let's really thank Dan. Great to hear you preach again, mate. I'm sure it's not that long since you preached in the morning service, but uh, we definitely need to hear more from you. I, I really felt right from the moment I started speaking to Dan about his message that he really did have a word on his heart for us. You know, it's been an unusual season and all of that. In, in my heart, I know what God's been saying. It's like, it is time to blow the trumpet. It really is time just to rise out of the morass of what we've just been through in society and get going on the mission of God. And what a fantastic word. The, you know, when he said, well, I'm going to speak about Laodicea, I was a little bit, oh, you know, that's the, that's the big rebuke. But you've done that so well, Dan. That, that was just absolutely brilliant. Thank you.